Welcome to Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast, the show where we seek to uncover what leadership means in today's world. I'm Joe Hart, CEO of Dale Carnegie, and we will be talking to diverse leaders with stories to tell across various industries to help unlock your potential for success. We will be sharing real life insights into leadership, which in turn can help spark the next level of your growth as a leader. Today's guest is one of the original sharks on the hit TV show, Shark Tank. He is the creator of the infomercial, a pioneer of the As Seen on TV brand, and a co-founding board member of the Entrepreneurs Organization. He has launched more than 500 products, generating over $5 billion in global sales. And today, he is going to share with us his wisdom about entrepreneurship, marketing, leadership, and success. We are excited to welcome Kevin Harrington. Kevin, thank you for being with me today and welcome to the Dale Carnegie Podcast. Joe, thank you. Great to be here. And I'm excited to share some stories with our listeners today. Well, I know they're going to love to hear from you. You are truly an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. You've started dozens of companies, launched hundreds of brands, billions of dollars in sales. I know that you've started 20 businesses that have turned into $100 million of sales. I mean, I think anyone would be just delighted to have a single company that does a fraction of that. So we're looking forward to learning about you, Kevin. Talk a little bit about where you started. How did you get involved in entrepreneurial things? Wow, great question. So I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, one of six kids. I was the fourth of six, which there's significance to that because my father, he actually started, came back from the war, a war hero flew 150 plus missions in World War II. And he was allowed to come back a lot sooner, but he stayed for his loyalty, his camaraderie and his patriotism and got shot down twice. But, you know, he came back, he was a bartender. And then one day he's like, no, I want to own my own bar. I want to be an entrepreneur. So he opened up his own places, Harrington's Irish Pub and some other places. I started when I was 11 years old working in my dad's bars. Uh, he would teach me though. And it wasn't just me showing up and, you know, go fill the walk-in box full of beer. You know, it was, let me walk you through how this works. And he's like showing me there's people in this business you can't trust, right? <laughs> like the beer delivery guy was stealing kegs of beer and the chef was taking the garbage out with steaks and lobsters, you know, hidden inside. And so we would count the money at the end of the day, which, you know, some it was a long process, a lot of hours. But I finally said, Dad, I need to make some money. So he said, you got to start your own business. He was paying me a dollar an hour. Of course, this was back in the 60s and the 70s. So I'm dating myself a little bit here. But once I started my own business, believe it or not, it was something very simple. I was just sealing driveways in Cincinnati because if you had a dry, an asphalt driveway, if you had a crack and water got in there, it would freeze and triple the size of the crack. So I'm 15 years old. I'm knocking on doors, explaining you need to get this sealed, protected. And all of a sudden I was doing 10, 12, 15 jobs a week at 15 years old, actually bought a truck, but couldn't drive it but you can own a truck at 15. You just can't drive it. Had to find somebody that could drive the truck. So anyway. Uh, How does a 15-year-old sell people on doing their driveways? You're 15 years old. How did you do that? Great question. Because when I first went out, I knocked on 20 doors and every single one of them said no. 
And some said it no forcefully, stop interrupting my dinner, this and that. So I figured it out. I said, wait a minute, they don't know who I am. So then I would go down, I grabbed one person. I said, you know what? I need to get one driveway done in this neighborhood. I'm going to give you the best deal possible. Normally it's a hundred bucks. The cost of material is 20. I'm going to do it for $20. If you let me put my name across the driveway and I want to take before and after pictures. And so they said, absolutely. When can you do it? Did it driveway. Now I knock on the door and I'd say, see that one over there. I just finished that. What do you think? Oh my God, that looks amazing. The same 20 people that said no, literally got 17 of those people once we got a driveway in the neighborhood. So that became my new way of setting up distribution. Go into the neighborhood, give one away, put the signs up, use the before and afters, and the rest is history. I had that business for four years until I started my freshman year of college. My dad said, Kevin, you're the fourth child. The bar business has been tough. There's no money for your college education. Good luck. You got to pay for it. School, tuition, room, board, apartment, car, insurance, health insurance, life, car insurance, you name it. So how does an 18-year-old do that? I have two kids that I had to put through college, and one of them was 50000 plus a year. And so make a long story short, I started another business when I was heating and air conditioning, because this was now full-time year-round heating and air because driveway ceiling was just a small part of what I was doing. But make a long story short, I got every new homeowner transaction from the courthouse, called them and said, we're going to clean your furnace for free as a welcome gift for purchasing your house, as well as a safety check on that furnace. We were getting into 20 houses a week and then picking up, oh, I need a new furnace. I need air conditioning. I need an air cleaner. I need a humidifier. Can you do this? All of a sudden we did from zero to a million dollars back in the seventies, which would be the equivalent today of three to 5 million at starting a business from scratch. Pretty unbelievable. I mean, you're in college and you're doing this. And just to go back for a second, you're 15 years old, you're 18 years old. Even when you were doing the ceiling of the driveways, you had all these no's. Many people would have been like, oh, I can't do it. I mean, so where did you find the courage or the confidence or the persistence? And what advice would you have for people who may lack that naturally? So this is important because this, when I was 15 years old, I started reading books. And I'm telling you, this is why I'm here right now on the Dale Carnegie podcast, because I read Dale Carnegie's Win Friends and Influence People. Same thing with Zig Ziglar and a few others, but I was very interested in self-help. And when I would read these books, I would get motivated and I would learn. I read the Dale Carnegie books and used the principles in my life. I have two kids. When my children were teenagers, I put them through the Dale Carnegie course because I realized what a change it had been for me. And I just read the books. I didn't actually go through the Dale Carnegie program. I was kind of self-motivated, self-starter and felt lucky like that. But my kids needed that push. My youngest boy, Nicholas, who went through the program, 
I call it a magical transformation. He was shy and afraid. And he came out of there like ready to say hello to everybody when he met them, you know? So it was transformative. So I started reading books, reading books on closing techniques. Zig was good with the secrets of closing the sale. And there were some other folks around that time, but I really learned a lot in the early days. And my father was very instrumental in this because my dad He worked six days a week in his restaurants and bars, and he took Sunday off because when I was growing up, the restaurant that he had at that point was closed on Sunday. But I'd sit there with him his day off, and he'd have a stack of newspapers, magazines, and trade journals next to his chair. And I'm like, Dad, it's your day off. What are you doing? He's like, I work all week long. I now need to keep up with what's happening in all the industries that I'm dealing with. We're in the restaurant industry, the food industry, and we entertain, and I need to be on top of it. And he's reading not just restaurant news, but Wall Street Journal. And what is he telling me to do? The same thing. So I started reading. I mean, to this day, Joe, I get five newspapers still delivered to my house every single morning. When I'm not traveling, I read them all. The bottom line is I realized that I didn't have all the answers. I needed to get some help. And I went and started reading. And just to finish the next couple of steps, heating and air conditioning was a great business for college, but it was too labor oriented. I was never going to be outside of the Cincinnati area where I grew up because, you know, I wasn't installing furnaces in California with a home office in Cincinnati. So I realized I'm going to sell it get out of the business. And I did. I sold the company to one of my employees. And then I said, where do I go from here? I started selling businesses as a business broker because I had a little bit of capital. And now I was watching these different businesses that were selling. So I met with a business broker. He had 200 business listings for sale. He had the books and records. He had the leases, all the percentages, the cost of food, if it's a restaurant, the employee cost. You could see really some of the mistakes a lot of these entrepreneurs were making by looking at their numbers and their books. And so I'm sitting there. I just sold my heating and air business. This broker is showing me all these businesses. And I said, that's what I want to do. I became a business broker giving me access to really cutting edge information on business startups, business failures, all of these good things. And this was in the 80s now. And so here I was selling pizza parlors, delicatessens, flower shops, hundreds of businesses, having a good time. And I bought a house and I was doing well and I ordered cable television. And this is now 1982. This is 40 years ago. I'm sitting watching cable TV, just came on my television, right? And I'll never forget, it was 30 channels. Prior to that, I don't know, Joe, how old you are, if you remember, do you remember TV before cable? I do, the three main channels, a couple of UHF. Exactly, right? When cable hit, I had 24 hours of sports, ESPN, music, MTV, news, CNN. I get to the last channel, channel 30, and nothing's on. Just these colored bars were on the screen. So I called the cable company and I said, I'm not going to be a complainer, I said, but I'm getting these cable channels, but I'm only getting 29. And let me tell you that I love the 29 channels, but there's nothing on the last channel. What's happening? And they said, that channel is a brand new channel. It's called Discovery. It's only an 18 hour a day channel because they don't have enough money for 24 hours. And that's when the light bulb went off. What can I put 
in that block of time. So had you had any experience with TV or media? Because I know what we're going to talk about is how you really invented the infomercial. And I love the story about the Ginsu knives, but you're looking at this. I mean, did you have any experience or Nothing. was it just the I idea? I never, was- never shot, never held a video camera, never shot a video show or TV, nothing. But I was an entrepreneur and I realized I got to tell you the story because I used to travel to, you know, I'm selling businesses and I'm selling home and garden stores. I'm at the home and garden show and I'm in, actually was in Philadelphia and I'm watching a guy with a knife in his hand, cut through a Coca-Cola can, through a muffler, through a pair of sneakers, hit a rope that was like this thick. He's going right, right through the rope. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Okay, well, he said, it's the Ginsu knife, he said. And he said, it's 1995, but for the first five people, I'm going to give you a second one absolutely free, but wait, there's a lot more. Six free steak knives, a bread knife, a paring knife. Boom, he gave you 20 knives for 20 bucks. And so, I mean, everybody that I saw standing there just about went up, including me, bought the Ginsu knife set. And it didn't hit me yet, but I'm sitting there as I'm paying for my knives. He's grabbing people and he's doing it all again. I'm watching him. But you know what was amazing, Joe? Every single word that came out of his mouth the second time was exactly the same as the first time. I listened to him a third time. I mean, it was like clockwork. Boom, boom, boom. I said, this guy's been doing this a long time. He got on break and I went and talked to him and I found out his name was Arnold Morris. He'd been doing it for 30 years and he'd been going from show to show the same pitch. And I said, Arnold, do you ever get tired of doing this? I mean, (laughs) he said, kid, he said, this isn't glamorous. He said, I make a lot of money, but I'm six days here in Philadelphia. Next week, I'm at the Iowa State Fair. I won't see my family for two weeks, but I'm on the road 40 weeks a year. And I said, Arnold, I've got the idea. I'm going to film this once. I'm going to take it to Discovery. He said, what's Discovery? I said, it's a new channel on cable. Six hours of downtime. He says, I don't watch TV. Whatever you want to do. We shook hands. Bang. And that was it. We shot the Ginsu. Arnold went on to become one of the most famous guys in this industry because not only did he create and have the greatest knife pitch with the Ginsu, et cetera, but he then said, by the way, Kevin, at the show, there was Billy Mays. There was all these other people that, did you meet any of them? And I said, no. He said, I'm going to bring them on. Let's cut a deal. You give me a commission if you do business with any of my friends. And we did. And Arnold made a fortune, many, many more dollars on things. He just kept bringing me product after product. And God bless him. Literally the week that Arnold passed away a few years ago, his wife called and said, Arnold has one last thing he needs to tell you, Kevin. And I knew he had had a stroke and he was not great, but he got on the phone. Couldn't talk great, but he's like, Kevin, he said, I found one more deal for you, buddy. He's like, I've got your next home run. I mean, here's a guy literally hours later passing away almost. And it was just very heartfelt, but here's a man, the best at what he did, but also we maintained an unbelievable relationship throughout all the years. And this was my entrance into the pitch world, okay? So Billy Mays and Arnold Morris and Jack LaLanne, and then we met Tony Little, the fitness guy. And of course we did George Foreman and many of these great projects we had a lot of fun with, but that was the early days. 
tying up that downtime, we then went to Europe and got downtime in Europe, Saudi Arabia and all the Middle East, Latin America, Asia. We became a global company. I owned As Seen on TV Inc. and As Seen on TV.com. We ended up public and had a, a good run in the public markets also. Yeah, it's almost one of these, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. I mean, you had that first win and then it kind of it grew from there. And it's, I think probably everyone is familiar with As Seen on TV and all the different you know, types of things you're talking about. I'm wondering, you know, it almost sounds like it's a straight line of success. And yet we know, and you know, as being a serial entrepreneur, that it's not always a straight line, right? So yeah. especially for people who are thinking about starting businesses or people who are challenged at different points in their lives or their careers, talk about some of the challenges that you faced along the way and how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, great question, Joe. I mean, business, yes, went like this, but there were definitely times when it went like that. And because in my world, we would launch a product and it had its life cycle. Some were very short, others were longer. Ginsu was the number of years. But the reality is we also ran into challenges in the business. So for example, manufacturing, we wanted a good price and I was a good marketer and I could sell, but I wasn't in the factory when they were making these goods we would hire someone for quality control. They do a QC on it, quality control as it left the factory. But I mean, we had a product that was running 30% defective, meaning it's something we didn't pick up. Unfortunately, at the factory, they shipped us the products. We shipped it out and we didn't know they didn't work until the people got them and called and told us. And we started getting a lot of phone calls. Well, the factories. They're not going to stand behind it if they're in China. In one fell swoop, you can lose a couple million dollars, right? I also had a situation one day where the merchant processor, which is processing my credit cards, right? They decided that they needed a reserve. And before I got my merchant account, I gave them $500,000 cash into a reserve account to hold against returns and chargebacks, right? Well, one day they said, your business has grown too fast and too unbelievable. We're going to grab $2 million out of your account today. And they did. And that was my working capital. Okay. So if you had $2 million less in your business, I had like $2.2 million in the bank at the time. And they grabbed $2 million. They're like, well, we're going to leave you a little to operate the business, right? But I'm spending a million a week on media. You know, I got payroll. I've got inventory. I mean, literally almost out of business overnight. So these are challenges that I faced over the years and dealt with them accordingly. But the reality is the successes we were having, fortunately, were able to weather the storm of some of these problems and failures. So we survived it but it was not without a lot of challenges. What advice would you have for people who are facing those kinds of challenges? I mean, you could have been furious, you could have yelled at people, you could have you know, been up all night, stressed out of your mind. I mean, so what advice do you have for people who are facing these just really challenging situations in their business or their lives? So I start by saying, I recommend that people do something that I didn't do when I first started. When I first started, I didn't want to pay, and we were a startup, so we didn't have a lot of capital. I only had 25000 when I started the business. So how am I going to go hire people at huge salaries? I mean, my accountant said, you need a CFO that's probably 
makes 150,000 a year. I'm like, I'm not pulling a salary. I'm not going to pay a CFO 150,000. And so, well, you're going to get what you pay for. So I found a CFO at 80,000 that cost me millions. Okay. So I'm telling you that now I hired the best of the best. I call it creating an amazing dream team. And in the old days, I didn't want anyone smarter than me at the table because I thought I was intimidated. No, you need people smarter than you. They work for you. You own the business. You're smart by hiring smart people. So don't be afraid to pay people good money because, and this is the mistake I made, Joe, was that I said to myself, I can't afford 150000 No, guess what? You have to pay to where you're going to go. In other words, I said to my accountant, day one, do I need this guy? And he said, no, but in month six, when you're doing you know, 10 million a month in sales, you're going to need this guy. And if you have the wrong guy, it's going to cost you money. I said, well, when I get there, I'll do that. Well, guess what? When I got there, it was too late. My guy had already made all the mistakes. He was a total disaster, my first CFO. And now I learned the hard way. Get the dream team, build around you with experts. And in today's world, that means we need digital experts. In today's marketing, we don't use TV hardly at all. We used to. Remember, I sold all those assets. I sold all my assets about 10 years ago in the as seen on TV space because I saw that things were moving towards digital. People were on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and not coming home and turning their TV set on. So sold all those assets, made amazing return on my investment on it. And now for the last 10 years, have been focused on digital launches with products as well as consulting and advising companies, becoming like a board member, an advisory board member. I don't want to be an employee. In fact, I'm not the CEO of anything anymore. I want to be able to advise and give wisdom in building businesses, raising capital, and I still invest money also. But that was a little transition that I went through. It's a great piece of advice, just going back even to what you're saying about the talent, right? Because right. ultimately, everything comes down to the talent, the team that we can build. I mean, this is a good kind of segue to a conversation about leadership, because it's not just the sales success that you had. It's not just the idea, the innovation, the creativity. It's the leadership. It's the working with people. It's having a vision and so forth. How would you define leadership, Kevin? What does leadership mean to you? And what advice do you have for people who aspire to be stronger leaders? I have a maybe a different way of leadership than others. I like to find self-starters. I like to find people that I can empower because if I have to oversee, it's not my style. I want to bring people on that I can give them their defined role and then let them go build it. Let them go make it happen. So, you know, my son, I had to teach him and I had to bring him through a boot camp in the first. And when he came, he graduated from Penn State, came down to St. Pete. He worked in various aspects of our business. He worked in the product development side. He worked in the media side. He worked in the production side. He worked in the legal side. So I had him working in all aspects of the business so that he could understand it. And then I put him out on his own, running it, his own business underneath me with a P&L that he had to focus on. So I basically 
give the education, but then I want, go start it, go do it. And I'll stay in the loop. You've got access to me when you need me, but don't be afraid to make mistakes. I'm okay with mistakes along the way. In fact, a gentleman, another one that I did a lot of reading on Winston Churchill, one of his famous lines that success is being able to go from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Okay. So I taught my son that. And I said, you're not going to be successful every time. The very first project that I assigned to him, he spent months on it and it was a miserable failure. And he was so torn apart and just taken aback. And he's like, dad, I don't understand. We put hundreds of thousands into this. I spent months of my life and it failed. What's your opinion? I said, look, we don't run right away. We try to tweak it and see if we can make it work. But after we can't, we walk. We have to. We got to go on to the next one because not everything is going to be successful. And like you said at the very beginning, we've had 20 of them that did over 100 million because we focus on the winners. And that's the key. So get rid of the losers. I say fail fast, fail cheap, focus on the winners and understand that you're going to have plenty of failures, but don't lose your enthusiasm over it. Okay. I I really love that. That's a great way to look at it. Failure to failure, but not losing your enthusiasm because of the coaching that you gave. I mean, part of the role of the leader is to coach and set the culture and set the vision and to give people the confidence, right? To make sure that they're willing to take the chances. I'm sure your son, after that experience, learned an enormous amount and then was able to really capitalize it. You'd made that investment more or less, right? You know, he understood that, after you see a hardcore failure like that, that you never expected it was going to happen, you know, reality sets in. I told my son, I said, don't expect this to work. We succeed one out of four times, which means we fail three out of four times. And that's acceptable. So at the end of the day, it was important for me as a leader to allow my son to have enough wiggle room to make the mistakes, learn himself, and now come back tweak these things and and go back and test them still. But at the end of the day, if it's a failure and we got to run, we're a venture marketing firm. So we don't just have one business. So we have a great opportunity because we can invest in businesses until we get those that work. And then we can run the ones that are working and cash flow those, et cetera, et cetera. But we have dozens of different investments that we're involved with at any one given time. Speaking of investments, you were one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. Certainly, you're very well known for having been on Shark Tank. Talk a little bit just about that experience. And I'm curious, I have to ask you if you have a favorite investment that you had on that show. Oh, yeah. So I got the phone call from Mark Burnett. uh, It was like, oh, probably about 13, 14 years ago. And he wouldn't tell me over the phone. He said, I'm doing a new show. Can't tell you about it till you come out and see me. But I want you to come meet me. And I'll tell you all about it. It's called Shark Tank. And that's when my wife said, well, I know why he's not going to tell you about it. Think of all the crazy things he does to those people on Survivor. What's he going to do to you on Shark Tank? Okay. I'm like, hmm, is he trying to get over on me here? You know, but when you think about it, Joe, Shark Tank doesn't sound like a business TV show. It sounds like a fishing show or something, right? So Mark and I, we hooked up. Kevin, he said, imagine you're sitting at the front of the room. And 
people are going to come out and they're going to pitch you their idea or their product. They get three minutes to pitch. You get three minutes to make up your mind whether you're going to invest. And I said, what do you call that person? A shark? He said, yes, those are the sharks. And I said, Mark, if that's a shark, I've been a shark for 30 years. He said, what do you mean? I said, I go to the home show. I take pitches. I go to the beauty show. I take pitches for products. I go to the fishing show and take pitches on fishing lures and rods and the golf show. And, the, you know, I go to 25 plus trade shows a year and I take pitches from entrepreneurs that want me to invest in their business. I said, this is exactly what I do. And so he said, great. I did a little film test. They picked me as the first one. I mean, it was like, you know, hey, you're in and you're the first one we picked. And so I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. So I did 175 segments on Shark Tank. They just keep rerunning them over and over. And I love it because each one of the segments that I did has run more than 50 times around the world. I had a crazy one. Actually, I just happened to have it sitting here. I'm going to grab it. This product was very crazy. It's called City Kitty. And it's a cat toilet training product. And as I can see you smiling there. It was one of my all-time favorite things on Shark Tank was that particular one. But we didn't have a cat, but I thought if we had a cat, why wouldn't you want that? You send them a litter cover to go over the toilet. It's got a little bit of litter in it, right? And then each week a ring comes out until week four, there's no ring and the cat still jumps on top of the toilet. So you're starting and training and no litter at the end. This product, I did it for a reason. So first of all, the woman comes out to pitch, Rebecca Riscotti, and she shows a video of a cat jumping on the toilet, going to the bathroom, jumping off. They use this in the movie Meet the Fockers. And so the whole place just broke out laughing. Not just the sharks, the camera people. There's a hundred some people in the studio. You could hear people belly laughing. So number one, I knew there's some excitement on this product, okay? Secondly, she had sales. She'd been doing hundreds of thousands of dollars and I saw it as a viral opportunity. But secondly, and thirdly, maybe, I saw it as a chance to get on Good Morning America, The Today Show, The View, which I got on all of the. I went on The View. I went on Wendy Williams. I went on Good Morning America. I went on The Today Show with City Kitty. And it was because it was such a crazy product. So I knew what I was looking for. And this product ended up doing millions. I mean, and I'm talking more than $10 million in sales. And when you think about it, that's pretty amazing for what some people thought, oh, is that a gag gift or is it a real product, right? But I got it into Walgreens on end caps, et cetera, et cetera. So City Kitty was a good one, loved it. But I did quite a few and had a lot of fun with many others too. As I recall, I think you got a quarter of that company for $100,000. So I'm sure that was a great investment, something like yes. that. You got a really good deal. And you created a lot of value through what you brought to the table. What are some of the defining qualities you find in the best entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs? What does it take really to become a successful entrepreneur? Good question. I'll say that one of my successful launches was the Entrepreneurs Organization. I'm one of the co-founding partners and board members of EO. And myself and a couple of us back in 1987, 
started EO. It was actually called YEO in the beginning and then changed. As we got older, we're like, we're not young anymore. We got to change it to EO. Okay. But by the way, and, I have to interrupt for one second. I was in YEO for years and I was delighted you changed it to EO because I was no you. longer young either. So yeah, I mean, I'm in my 60s now, so I'm not a young entrepreneur anymore. But when we started EO, it was because I had made mistakes. I talked about, you know, having problems with products and quality. And Michael Dell was involved in EO also in the beginning. And Michael Dell was shipping computers out of his dorm room in Austin, Texas, I think. And so we said, let's have an organization where we can help each other. But the reality is this, is I started to see similar kinds of traits in entrepreneurs. And I think if I partner with somebody and I invest in entrepreneurs, I like to see self-starters. I mentioned it earlier. My leadership philosophy is empowering and giving leaders a lot of rope to go lead their pack and their tribe. And so in the early days, I said, I know there's certain things that I'm going to be looking for here, but I don't want to micromanage. I want entrepreneurs and partners. If I'm going to invest in someone on Shark Tank, I can give them the money but I don't want them calling me every day and asking, what do I do next? I want them to be able to take it and run with it. So I think that's important, but I also, I fill it out. I say to the entrepreneur, do you have a business plan? Let's put one together. Because in the old days, I always thought, well, I don't need a plan. I know what I'm doing, right? But no, you need to empower others around you to also buy into what you're doing, right? I mean, if you're just all by yourself, and do you need a plan? You should have one anyway, but you know what you're doing. But if you've got a team, you need to explain it to them. Everyone needs to buy into the plan. And now let's execute the plan. So that's important. And again, having self-starters that can execute on their own as much as possible is key for what I look for. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Great interview, Kevin. Any closing pieces of advice for our audience? I think we've talked about quite a few very powerful things. I guess some people are out there and they maybe are on the fence of wanting to be an entrepreneur. And I have a little philosophy and it's another gentleman that I got a lot of value out of when I was a young entrepreneur. And this was a gentleman by the name of Paul J. Myers that said, whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. And I believe that if you have a vision, you focus on it, you believe in it, and now following these steps, you must enthusiastically act upon it because this is where a lot of people fall short. They want to be successful. They want to be an entrepreneur. So they believe in it. They can see it. They can dream it. They can believe it but they don't know they have to follow that enthusiastically acting upon its state. You need to go raise money. You need to go get your dream team. You need to go do all the things to get commerce happening. And that's for me, I see people all the time. They come up to me and they say, Kevin, oh, thanks for inspiring me. You know, I had this idea for five years and I just sat on it. And finally, I got motivated to say now is the time. You motivated me. So that's what I say is so many people that have sat on the sidelines, it's now time to go do it. If you're ready, you think you're ready, you are, go do it. But 
Don't be afraid to put a mentor along with you. And that's what I've been doing for many years is helping and mentoring many entrepreneurs. Get the best mentor that you can and read a lot of great materials. And this gets back to the beginning of our whole conversation here, Joe, was, you know, Dale Carnegie provided me a lot of great reading opportunities when I was younger. And I learned a lot, so much so that I put my kids through the program and believe in his messaging. And so I believe entrepreneurs need to be well-read and get the best of the best. And certainly Dale was one of the ones that inspired me from the beginning when I was a teenager. And just want to thank you for having me. And I hope that there's a lot of folks that have gotten a little bit of knowledge here today from some of the things we talked about. Awesome, Kevin. Thank you so much for being here. I mean, what I hear you saying too, is you're talking about taking command. That's what this podcast is all about. Take command, believe in yourself, be persistent, find a mentor, mentor others. Fabulous advice. So grateful to have you here. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. Check out our resources page at www.dalecarnegie.com for more research, insight, and tools that will support your success in taking command of your leadership potential. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating it and subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast.